Welcome to Any Given You. This show is about all things college football, and on it you will hear insights, analysis, discussion, predictions, and stories of any given topic from any given time, past, present, or future. We believe that the stats are great, but the stories are greater. And you should listen if you have a passion for the game and what makes it great. We're going to talk about touchdowns and touched lives. Come with us on a journey that extends beyond the field of play. We will talk wins, losses, and coachable moments learned on the football field and taken to the classroom, workforce, home, and even the battlefield. Division one to division none. Five-star recruits to walk-ons, it doesn't matter. If it's college football, it's worth the story. I'm your host, Michael Megan. U.S. Army Ranger and a former college football player, and more importantly, a lifelong fan of all things college football. Whether you are a casual fan, a fanatic, a coach, a player, or just a person who loves great stories, then huddle up and commit at any given you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Any Given You podcast. As always, I'm your host, Michael Megan. Before we get into tonight's content, I would like to remind everybody that if you're enjoying the show, subscribe to the podcast and please give us a rating, five star, I hope, and tell us what you think via a quick review or just tell a few of your friends about the podcast. We are available on all major podcast platforms. You can also follow us on Instagram and our Facebook page and group. Tonight's guest is a fellow football enthusiast and U.S. Army Ranger. I love having these guys on the show. I think it really gives a unique perspective and shows a lot of kind of grassroots talent that we have all around for this sort of content. Having the opportunity to bring that to the forefront and get outside of the major sports sort of, you know, opinions and everything else to drive everybody so crazy. Victor Black is a member of 3rd Battalion. He is a work colleague of mine, and I am very, very happy to have him on the show tonight. Victor, welcome to the Any Given You podcast. How are you doing? Doing well. Glad to be here. I'm looking forward to talking some Rocky Top. Yeah, old Rocky Top. That is the uh, subject for tonight's podcast. We are talking Tennessee Volunteers. Victor is a avid Tennessee Volunteers fan, has been for some years. And, you know, to be honest, I'm really glad that we chose this topic because I never really did a deep dive into Tennessee. I, I knew that they had a tradition, right? But I had no idea just how extensive it was. You know, um, for example, I had no idea that they've been playing football for 128 years, their inaugural season in 1891. They're six-time national champs. I had no idea about that either. Um, 13-time conference champs. They've, they have 857 victories versus 409 loss and 56 uh, ties, which actually puts them 12th on the all-time win percentage list. They have bowl appearances in every major bowl. Uh, and, you know, their last cha- uh, national championship was in 1998. And if you didn't know any of that, you should know about Neyland Stadium being the fifth largest stadium in college football, 102,000 capacity, uh, just, you know, and, and so now it makes a little more sense to me when I speak with folks about how avid fans they are for Tennessee, how passionate, you know, fans get about Tennessee and sort of this this expectation that this fan base has and and how painful, unfortunately, the last couple of years must be uh, for for volunteers fans. What hooked you to the Tennessee Volunteers? You mind telling us about, about that a little bit? So growing up, I actually wasn't a Tennessee fan. It wasn't until I went to college right down the road from uh, Knoxville. And then one of my buddies from Knoxville invited me over to a game and I went to my first game and it is the most addicting atmosphere you'll ever be in. It 
we're not talking like a little college town with people just tailgating here and there. We're talking about a major southeastern city shut down with people shoulder to shoulder trying to get into the stadium. It's 102,000 people inside. It might be 100,000 outside the stadium still tailgating and watching a game in the parking lot. It's the most addicting atmosphere I've ever been in my life. And by the end of the day, I'm like, yeah, I'm sold. Um, I'm a Tennessee fan for life now. What is it like when, because I have never attended a game in Neyland Stadium. I've seen it on TV. Um, I've seen games, big games played in that stadium where when the crowd starts getting into it or they're, you know, they're going kind of crazy, the, the, the cameras actually start shaking, which is, which is really nuts. What was it like, you know, seeing the volunteers come out, take the field? What was that, that noise like? Because because for me, the largest uh, the largest crowd I've ever been a part of as as a player on the sideline was sixty three thousand in the Orange Bowl, and that was loud as hell, right? That, that was a really lo- raucous environment, right? And then I've been to some games at Sanford Stadium with the Bulldogs, but again, we're talking about about ten thousand less people <laughs> uh, for capacity in that stadium, and that place gets pretty raucous uh, itself. What, what is it like in Neyland? So I'll start with my three biggest highlights as a Tennessee fan and going to games is number one was the loudest I've ever heard anything. And that was the Oklahoma Tennessee game back in 2015, I believe. Baker Mayfield was there and went to overtime and we ended up, we ended up losing, but I cannot tell you that was the loudest anything I've ever heard in my life. It was so loud. I mean, you can't talk to the person next to you. You don't sit down the whole game. It is truly just all inspiring. Second time was the first time we ever checkered Neyland against Florida. And we actually ended up beating Florida. So, I mean, that's kind of a surprise in that itself. <laughs> and um, once again, it's just, it was a comeback win. And it is, you can't express how loud it gets with all 102,000 people, at least. Sometimes I'm sure some people sneak in there. And then the third time is the Battle of Bristol when we played Virginia Tech. And I forget the exact number, but it was like 200,000 in that stadium. And it's it's one of the most friendly atmospheres, but it is, a, no, people do not stop screaming the entire time. It's to the point where I had to bring my family from Virginia just so they can experience the culture. Now they root for Tennessee whenever they can. So it's, it's like a family atmosphere, but I mean, we're the most starved fan base ever. So we're also very competitive. Over the last couple of years, I mean, obviously we've all seen what it, sort of the the drama in Rocky Top, right? Coming off of uh, the Butch Jones years that were up and down. It seemed like there were their peaks and valleys there, but it was just sort of inconsistency, good teams, good players, but just had sort of an inability to finish or stay consistent throughout the entire season. They obviously go with a coaching change, Jeremy Pruitt, over the last couple of years. Again, ups, downs, right? Uh, the tail end of the 2020 season must have been really exciting to see Tennessee. What, how many games did they win consecutively? Something like eight? Mm-hmm. It was it was eight. It was almost double digits. Now you can look at the competition there and kind of side-eye it. But the fact is you got to beat the teams you're supposed to beat. The, that's the first step. And I, I was high I was high on us for that eight game streak. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot, I think it was a lot to be excited about. Um, I think it felt for me not being a Tennessee fan, but talking to some uh, during that time, it felt like y'all were really kind of convinced that you were kind of turning a corner. Like Jarrett Garantano was starting to express a little bit of that talent and getting rid of some of his Jacqueline Hyde ways. We can talk about that here in a minute. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure you'll like to get into that, but, uh, or maybe not. Uh, but it's, it's, it's in such stark contrast, right. To, when I was back in my middle school, high school days, right? I graduated high school in 2006, 
Tennessee in the early 2000s was still very much an it team, you know, kind of kind of the team in the SEC East to beat. Obviously, they were the first BCS national champions in, in, in 1998. Players like Al Wilson leading that defense. Uh, Phil Fulmer, obviously the head, the head man the year before that. You had uh, Peyton Manning, right? You know, that kind of speaks for itself there. And there's been some just fantastic players that have come out of Tennessee in, in history. You know, obviously you got the all-time goats like Reggie White and Peyton Manning, but you also have guys like Arian Foster. Alvin Kamara has come out of, you know, Tennessee, uh, made a huge splash in the NFL. I mean, it's not like they're not producing players and all that, but again, very tumultuous over, over this last couple of years here. What do you, where do you think, that it's sort of, I don't know, in your opinion, as a fan, where, where did it start to come, come unhinged a little bit? I think you got, I mean, you, you can't overthink it. You look back to when Philip Fulmer was fired and it's just ever since he stepped down, whether you think he should have been fired or not. I know he had a couple of bad seasons there to tell in, but after that, I mean, you can look at some of the coaches that were going to hire after Fulmer and it was, it's just bad decision after bad decision from the administration administration standpoint. I get you hire Kiffin. You're trying to get young, the next up and coming guy, but they literally turned down hiring Gary Patterson that exact cycle because he's too much of a football coach. I mean, yeah. <laughs> what what kind of reason is that? And then well, you end up with someone like Derek Dooley, who I mean, oh, that Derek Dooley hire I think set us back further than any one hire in a program history. Why is that? Why do you think? I mean, you look at. I mean, I'm not sure why they hired him in general. I mean. He's head coach of Louisiana Tech for three years and has one winning season. What world is that good enough for the SEC? Like, I try and stay like a humble fan, like, you know, be patient, be patient. But when you look at that hire, you're just like, that's a terrible hire. And then you follow up with Butch Jones, who he could at least recruit. Now, there's some gray area if he was just recruiting for stars or for the system. But I mean, there's quotes from Derek Dooley. He brought in an orange dog, Darren Prattis, and he said, Feed the good thoughts to this dog, not the red dog. You have him comparing Tennessee players to German soldiers from World War II. I mean, it's just, and he's sitting on a stool coaching when he hurts his foot. I mean, it's just like, what are like, what world are you living in, man? And it's one thing, Mike Leach can get away with this stuff because he wins somewhat, not in SEC, but in the Pac-12 he could. So, okay, it's Mike Leach, he's quirky, but he wins. But make Derek Dula, you're quirky, you can't recruit, and you're losing. Like what? What are you bringing to the table? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I hear you on that. Did you think that the uh, the decision to go away from Philip Fulmer, uh, obviously his record speaks for itself with what he was able to do at Tennessee. He is a college football Hall of Famer as a head coach. Do you think that that was more football driven, or do you think that was more of a personality driven thing? Because there was a lot of waves around the Tennessee program that he had lost the locker room because he was, I don't know, too hard-headed, old school, whatever it was. He wasn't really getting with the times, as they like to say, quote unquote. And that makes me kind of, that that raises some red flags with me because it was still the early 2000s. I mean, you yeah. can still coach kids kind of hard, you know? <laughs> and so yeah. like, that's kind of my my question there. What do you, what, what are your thoughts on that? I'll pre, I'll, I'll kind of say, like, I think Fulmer will always be a legend in Tennessee, regardless of his stint as an athletic director or any of that. But I think it was Tennessee trying to get out ahead of a, a downward spiral in which doing that caused the downward spiral. Because if you look at Philip Fulmer, old, like you said, old school, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust kind of guy, 
And then the higher right after that is Lane Kiffin. Can I cannot think of two people. Now, I've never talked to both of them as an individual, but I cannot think of two people who might be further from each other than those two individuals. And the Lane Kiffin hire, I think it's hard to say. I think they were just trying to get young and try and get that next up and comer. And it obviously fell flat on its face. But I think the former fire, it's tough to say if it was a good decision or bad. Hindsight, obviously, I'd say it wasn't. If nothing else, he brought stability to the team. But I think it was Tennessee trying to get out ahead of a, a plummeting to earth kind of thing. And it put us into a nosedive. The, yeah, sort of the self-fulfilling prophecy, right? The, the grass was always greener on the other side, but it turns out it really wasn't. Yep. I get this impression from Tennessee. Uh, this is this is just me, and this isn't me talking. I'm not trying to talk shit or anything like that. I'm just this is the impression I get from the program of Tennessee. Fan talking trash to Tennessee fan. Oh. <laughs> hey, I'll tell you this: there are teams that I hate way worse than Tennessee for sure. But uh, namely, the guys in Gainesville, and uh, I'm not a huge fan of those Gamecocks either. Um, but uh, no, I, so with Tennessee, the thing is, is like in the '90s, right in the in that late '90s, and even early 2000s. I I have a year marked in my head where the SEC took what I like to call the next step towards the dominance that we see today. Mm-hmm. That year is 2007, right? And oddly enough, Tennessee won the SEC East in 2007. That was that was the last time that they were kind of relevant in the picture. It went up against an LSU team that year that would win the national championship. They lost by a touchdown in that game. Uh, but I digress. My point is this. You know, that we all know that – I'm going to use a metaphor here because I love using metaphors, right? Um, it, it, we all know that kid in, you know, sixth grade that was a foot taller than everybody else. Right. He just he, he was more athletic, he was bigger, stronger, foot taller than everybody else. But all of a sudden, come senior year, he hasn't grown an inch and everybody else has now surpassed him. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're more athletic. I get that feeling from Tennessee where they were very good in a very fledgling SEC, right, that hadn't quite arrived yet. We're, we're talking about in the, in the 90s and early 2000s when the Pac-12 was still very relevant, when the Big Ten was still very relevant. Strength of schedules, you can go back and look, uh, were much higher in the Big Ten, Pac-12, other conferences than the SEC. They were still trying to kind of figure it out as a conference and really hit their stride. And I feel like Tennessee was the first to pop, but like we like we alluded to a minute ago with the decision-making, it didn't sustain over time, and now they're playing this huge catch-up game. What are your thoughts on that? I'm actually glad you mentioned that because I think that kind of starts the problem at hand, which is an impatient fan base. Because you can look back in the 90s when Tennessee was at the peak of our performance, you can look around the rest of the SEC, and it's not today's SEC. Alabama's on probation. They're not really relevant. Auburn's not that relevant. Like all Texas A&M's not even in the SEC. So you look around the Georgia SEC. Georgia was not good. <laughs> yeah, Georgia. I'm not sure what was going on with Georgia, but they were not great. Florida was not consistently good. And even Peyton Manning never beat Florida. But uh, you look back to SEC, that is not today's SEC. And as you say, early 2000s, we still maintain some superiority but then the big thing is you see the sec east start rising up and then as soon as you compare the sec east rising and the sec as a total rising we fire philip fulmer and then we are literally going down while everyone else is going up just magnifying the separation between our two programs and then you compare that with the Derek dooley hire which even set us further down the slope than the butch jones hire meanwhile you look over across the border to georgia and then further south to florida these programs are owned like 
Mark Rick starts writing the ship a little bit. You see Florida with the great hire of Urban Meyer. And now these two programs are just on rocket ships. And Tennessee is just weights tied to the ankle in the ocean. And then you see Alabama start rising. You see Auburn win a national championship. And Tennessee is just kind of spinning its tires. So I think that's our expectations are still with the early 2000s, 90s team, but the results are now not nothing, literally nothing to speak of since Fulmer. And now you have this fan base who's just impatient, wants to get a win with a program that's just not, I think it's more of an administration issue than a program, but you just see everyone catching up to us and then passing us and Tennessee's just in a free fall. It's really interesting too, because it, it's not like the the table isn't set. The mm-hmm. facilities are there. Top 10 facilities. Top 10. Yeah, absolutely. Top 10 facilities, the stadium. I mean, we already talked about that. The tradition is there. The, the, the alumni, I'm sure there's plenty of wealthy backers and boosters for that program. It literally does seem like potentially you, you, you have this, like I said, the table set, you have this great feast there. And, but you gotta <laughs> I don't know the tablecloth out from under it. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's kind of it's kind of crazy to me. The the um the Butch Jones years, I, I want to highlight that for a second. So he was he was at Tennessee for five seasons. Five seasons, right? And it seemed like incrementally every year he was building towards something. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys had uh Dobbs at quarterback, was it Josh Dobbs? Yep. Uh, speaking of, by the way, the day Tennessee ripped my heart out of my ass, uh, <laughs> it was in, I know, it, I, I know, you know where I'm going with this. I think it was 2016. Yep, that, was our, that was our year. Yep. 2016 was Kirby's first year coaching. And uh, yeah, I remember Jacob Eason just throwing the most perfect pass that I had ever seen, mm-hmm. you know, touchdown Georgia, not even what 25 seconds left, something like that. And then the decision to squib kick. Yep. I I remember thinking right then and there I was I was staring at the TV in just utter amazement. I said, "You're going to give the Vols the ball at the 50 with a kid who can throw into the end zone." And lo and behold, exactly what I was thinking exactly happened. You know, Juwan Jennings back of the end zone. I have no idea or actually he was in the the front of the end zone. Everybody was behind him. I don't <laughs> understand what the hell was going on. He comes down with the big catch. Butch Jones is crying on his knees on the sidelines. You know, you really did I, I, in that moment, right, as a dogs fan, I felt like, oh shit, you know, yeah. Tennessee is now, you know, they're gonna they're gonna take this going forward, and then, bah, like, <laughs> you know, when you say Butch was building up to something, it was 2016. That was his season. If I told you, insert whatever SEC East team you want, hey, if you beat Georgia and Florida. Do you think what percent chance do you have to win the East? I think almost everyone would say 90, 99% chance. Uh-huh, yeah. Beat, we beat Georgia and Florida that year. We lost to Vanderbilt in South Carolina. We didn't win the East that year. Just, I mean, just go down to that season makes me, that's when I lost faith in Bush Jones. Alvin Kamara, Jalen Hurd, Juwan Jennings, Josh Dobbs. The list goes on and on of these players that played it. I mean, defensive players. Cameron Sutton's a great defensive back. You, I mean, we had talent all over that field beat Georgia, beat Florida. We beat Nebraska in the the bowl game, the Liberty bowl or something (laughs) like, like, how is that, how is that possible for an SEC team, SEC East team? The that's, that's when I lost faith in Butch. I was after that season, like he's, there's no way if you can't win this roster with Georgia and a coaching change with 
much champ, you know, kind of fiddling his thumbs down in Florida a little bit. I was, I was out on him. I was okay. And then obviously 2017, the wheels fall off. They go last eight games, they go one seven. And that, that, that was the season we built up to. We're in top 10 preseason. And then after that, it's just after the AM game, you just fall flat on your face. It was just, I just don't think he had the culture in place to withstand adversity. They did great on when they were winning. As soon as that loss comes, the locker room's just lost. I mean, I remember seeing the their first game of the season in 2017. It was against Georgia Tech. Yeah. I, and to be completely honest, I'm like, we're down by this much a triple option team. I turned it off. I'm like, there's no way we come back and win this game. But joke's on me. <laughs> well, the, the Georgia fan watched the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> I, I watched the whole thing because I was like, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I didn't know what to make of it after. I was sitting there thinking, okay, is Georgia Tech and Tennessee pretty good? Are they both pretty good or are they both, you know, not that good? And so, you know, I, I was, I came out of that game a little bit confused, but what stuck out to me more than anything else was how Butch Jones, like you said, incrementally better each, each year up to that point, 2016 definitely finished, you know, substandard for what everybody's expectations were. But what stuck out to me was how did Tennessee not have a quarterback ready to go? Um, and I think that has been outside of the coaching decisions, right? That has been a huge, I'm not even going to say thorn in the side. I'm going to say dagger in the chest for this program, as far as, you know, at the quarterback position, because it always seems like uh, Tennessee over the last couple of years with all the issues that they've had a solid quarterback play would be buying these guys three, four more wins a year. What do you, what do you think? Absolutely. I mean, um, Josh Dobbs, I think he, he was a good quarterback. I'm not going to, I don't think, I don't think anyone expect him to do much in the NFL, but I thought he was a good college quarterback. J- Jared Garantano, you can have a whole – that poor child. He, you can have a whole podcast just on that guy's career. He was thrown to the wolves, I think, his freshman year. Came in as – I think it was a five-star. Made his announcement in uh, Times Square. Super excited, and we threw him behind an offensive line that was just atrocious. That I honestly – I mean, you could see he, he looked like he had PTSD going in to <laughs> – like his his junior and senior year, like his reads were get the ball, look at my, look where I'm going to get hit from. Oh, I'm not hit. Now look for a receiver, and then he gets hit. But it, I don't understand how the universe. Like this is kind of going to a different direction of your question. But say what you will about Tennessee, but they can recruit. Like the program can recruit. As much adversity as we've had in the last decade, I mean, Butch Jones threw together a top five class. And then in 2014, he threw together a top 10 class. Jeremy Pruitt could recruit there now. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll get into yeah, that. Yeah, we'll get into that <laughs> later. But the program can recruit. And the fact that they just had no backfill of a quarterback after Dobbs was just like, this, this isn't, this is not how we, you need to build a team for the long term. Like, someone needs to have that foresight to be like, okay, Dobbs is a senior. He's not coming back. It's not like he left early for a draft. He was not coming back. And we knew that. And we still had nothing, nothing ready. You know, a, a program that's in that position right now, actually, I was thinking about it, is uh, Texas AM. Texas AM is in that position right now. I think, uh, I think they're going to get a rude wake up call this next year but we're not here to talk about the Aggies um yeah that, that's what stuck out to me Pruitt comes in off the heels of Butch Jones Warrantano's the the quarterback we saw the ups and downs we saw sort of some of the bonehead decisions we saw a very spirited battle between Tennessee and Alabama uh goal line scenario and then you know Guarantano decides he's going to do a rock star move 
fumbles, turns the tide, no pun intended of that game. We see the, the really the, the rough coaching moment on the sideline with uh, Jeremy Pruitt kind of grabbing his helmet. And that was all over ESPN. And people are saying, oh, you know, it's again, you know, this, that, and the other, he's, he's losing the locker room. This is unexcusable, hard coaching, stuff like that. For me, I felt like that hire had a Phil Fulmer stamp all over it, you know. Yep. Uh, it was like, hey, let me go find a guy like me, basically, is a little bit of, you know, a little narcissism there. But, you know, either way, I didn't have a problem with it because the kid made an absolute bonehead move. Uh, you, you saw instances, right, in this last season. I want to talk about this last season, uh, this this, uh, this 2021, which is crazy for everybody. But the uh, the Vols start off, they start off 2-0. and And they do it on the strength of a very powerful run game. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like there were times where it was like kind of I, – I, I was thinking if I was a Tennessee fan, I'd be going mad right now. It's like continue to do what got you there. Right. If you know that you are a physical upfront team with a power running game with a two headed attack out of the backfield, then then own that. Be that. Do that. Are you going to be able to beat elite programs with that? Perhaps not. But can you win 60, 70 percent of your games like that? I think so. And we saw instances like against Auburn where y'all drive right down the field, you know, handed it off to Gray. And uh, who's it? Who's that other kid? Who's the other kid back there? Ty Chandler. Ty Chandler. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Two, two very talented backs behind a big physical offensive line, go right down the field, get in the red zone. Let's dial up a pass for some damn reason. Guarantano does what he does best. Unfortunately, turns the ball over, right? Turns the tide in the game. At the half in Sanford Stadium, the Vols were leading. Now it was close and you could see the writing on the wall that Georgia was just kind of getting warmed up. Yep. But for whatever reason, they decided to put the game in the hands again of Guarantano. Now, I think that had a lot to do with Georgia loading the box and their fantastic run defense and, and all that. And they kind of, they make, they will make you and put you in a scenario where you have to do that. But again, I just feel like, I don't know, they, 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 again, like you said, they threw them to the wolves and turnover, 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 turnover. Yep. And it just seemed like, like I said, any kind of decent quarterback play, Tennessee's a different team, mm-hmm. right? The, the huge implosion that happened and all that other stuff like that. Right. But it's not like, you guys don't have quarterbacks on the roster, mm-hmm. right? And so I guess that would be a good segue into talking about what happened, right? So Jeremy Pruitt, as we know, early early this year, earlier this year, when was that? Like February, I think, of when the whole shitstorm came out? Yeah, it was late in the cycle. It was mid to late February when all that when all of it came out, as in when Tennessee told on themselves. Right. And so the guy who spearheads that is the same guy who brought in Jeremy Pruitt, Phil Fulmer, right? The the former national championship coach there for the Vols. You know, he was hired as the AD, I think about what, five, six years ago, something like that. Uh, not, not even. He came in with Pruitt. So that's right. That's right. So they came in together. So what we're talking about three years max. He's He was a well-known whistleblower in the SEC, in college football, also pointing at different programs for recruiting allegations of violations and all this other stuff like that. Personally, I think I think it would be a little naive to think that that stuff doesn't happen all across college football. I just think some programs are a little bit better about finding the gray space there, maybe being a little more discreet about it. But I remember him being very critical of coaches like Urban Meyer, coaches mm-hmm. like even Mark Richt, who ran what, you know, I would consider a very clean Georgia program. He definitely, him and Spurrier went at it a few times. Um, and then turns around and just submarines his own program. And then, oh, by the way, 
he metaphorically goes ahead and, you know, jumps out of the window along with it uh, and, and, and resigns, right? What, what good did he think was going to come of that? I mean, I think Tennessee and Texas, I think, are in a very similar issue. This is there's so many little voices and Alabama before Saban got there and told them all to shut up. There's so many voices, so many hands in the chili, whatever metaphor you want to use. Tennessee has that issue. Everyone is chirping. Everyone has an opinion and everyone's trying to just just get something going. I think he just made an impulse decision and it was a bad one. Uh, I mean, you can with all the stuff about Fulmer, you can go back to when he first became the head coach of Tennessee and it came as him basically snaking a job. When Johnny Majors gets hurt, he comes in and pushes Majors out of the the coaching position. So it's not something that's a new development. In my mind, I know a lot of other Tennessee fans feel the same way. We try and separate athletic director Fulmer and head coach Fulmer just so we don't ruin his (laughs) legacy as the coach. But yeah, I mean, I think like we said earlier, he had that old coach mentality. When he take he took over, his hire was someone who he saw would run the program like he would. They talked all the time. They seemed like they're buddy buddy from what I've heard. And then he was they were looking for an easy way out of the Pruitt contract. Um, and I think that's what it comes down to. They wanted to try and get rid of Pruitt to avoid the buyout. The whole Pruitt firing thing, I I, I like Pruitt. I thought he was a good the recruiting stuff aside. I thought he was not a bad coach I thought he was stuck in his offensive ways a little too much um I think that was his biggest fallback because there's times like you got said earlier you're watching this and you're just like what is are we our our goal is to win 10 to 7 like that's (laughs) that if Pruitt could score like write his own scoring we would win every game 7 to 3 or 10 to 7 and that's just not what college football is nowadays so he just wouldn't adapt and then I just think they wanted to get take the easy way out now what they thought would have happened and end up sinking the whole ship. Yeah. I mean, I just think it's a little naive to think that, uh, I mean, honest opinion. Do you think that Phil Fulmer thought that he could do something like that? And, you know, everybody was just going to go, okay, well, you know, I'm still committed to Tennessee. It's all good. You know, we're going to stick around. It'll be fine. Because the the reason I bring that up is, and, and this is something that I've heard from other people that do sports content. There seems to be among sports writers, some sort of, I, I think, falsehood that coaches, head coaches, right? Leaving in transition, getting fired, whatever, doesn't really affect recruiting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the program will still recruit itself. I think there's a little bit of truth to that, a little bit. But like I've cited earlier, when Gus Malzahn was let go from Auburn, Auburn's recruiting class sunk from a number 17 to number 47. When Will Muschamp was let go, South Carolina's recruiting rankings were they were in the like the mid to late 20s or, you know, high 20s. But they they right now they're in the like the 80s. I mean, it's terrible. Right. And and so my thing is like, don't you think that was a little bit naive? Either one of two things, either it was he was that naive, which is bad, or he knew, and which is worse. So, you know, what I think, happened? I think it was a little bit of naive because it happened after the, the early signing period. And I think in their little admissions minds, they're like, oh, these kids already signed. They, they don't have a say in it. So we'll just fire them now. We'll keep all these highly touted recruits and we'll just, you know, go our merry way to the later signing period and he can just fill the roster. That's not how it works nowadays. We, you saw our recruiting class once again, you could just scratch off the names, scratch off the names. If you guys asking, they went out of their letter of intent. Dylan Brooks went like a five-star defensive end. I think it lasted all an hour. Jeremy Pruitt's fired. Hey, I went out. And then you can literally go our top five recruits to include after this week. 
our quarterback are all didn't sign, never really practiced. So I, I think they were, they were kind of caught like, oh, well, the early signing period already happened. They'll come. They'll still come. And I think that's literally just the admission, once again, just being that just naive about the whole system. And speaking of the system, it couldn't have been at any worse time either, right? Because again, you know, fate takes a shit in Tennessee's dinner. The NCAA decides to enact the one free transfer rule. <laughs> so yeah. even if they couldn't get out of those letters of intent at that time, it would have been a moot point anyway, because mm-hmm. now they can't. And so what we saw was this, and I was in amazement myself. I knew things were going to get bad. I didn't see, I didn't think actually how bad it was going to get. We yeah. saw a starburst effect out of it's Tennessee. Free agency. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and intra-conference too, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and Tennessee just got scalped. I mean, Jesus, we, we got players like, you know, five-star players like Wanye Morris. You got Key Lawrence. You got Ty Chandler's gone. You've got uh, Henry Toto, five-star linebacker. He's now playing for the Crimson Tide. Mm-hmm. You've got guys going to Miami. You've got guys heading over to Florida State. It's, it's insane. And so I just wanted to, you know, get your opinion on this. I know I'm twisting the knife right now, but, you know, <laughs> what is it from your perspective? Like, what's it kind of going to be like seeing what could have been, right? You're going to see these guys' talent get expressed for other programs. And I mean, fuck, man. It, it'll be like what we said earlier. It'll be like, after the 2016 season, it, it honestly will probably be worse watching Alvin Kamara in the NFL become rookie of the year. I'm like, well, he, he would, he stayed on Tennessee's roster and we still didn't win. <laughs> but I mean, I can't, I have a hard time blaming the players after the debacle they were watching and the admission. I'm like, why would they want to stay? Like, why would they want to stay there? Now, going to Bama is a little bit of a, all right, transfer to Oklahoma. Cool. You know, you want to win. Congratulations. You know, I'll, I'll still root for those guys. But when you go to Bama, it's like, come on, man. Like, at least go out of the conference. Yeah, yeah. Toto, yeah. He was uh, he was holding out until that intra-conference thing got a, I mean, we all knew that. Like, Yeah, he, he was already probably moving there. Yeah, absolutely. Like he, the, the Saban wanted him, you got him. So, um, so that brings us to our next juncture in in the Tennessee timeline here, and we're talking about again a hiring of a head coach. And so, Josh Heupel, he comes in from UCF. He's a former uh, quarterback out of OU, and uh, you know, I would say that he did a fair job running the nights down there in Orlando, it, obviously the foundation was already set from Scott Frost and that, you know, 2017 national championship team, as they like to call themselves. Um, but, you know, either way, I digress. I'm not here to, to have any beef with UCF fans, but uh, I, I felt like I don't think he improved anything down there. in fact, if anything, there was a little bit of regression. I think he did a decent job running the program. To me, this hire, uh, which I heard Peyton Manning was actually involved in this process as well, uh, coming in with the administration and everybody else to actually make the coaching hire decision. Uh, this hire, I don't know what to think about it personally. Um, it seems to me like it's a bit of a stopgap hire, not really what you would consider a quote unquote slam dunk hire. Now, again, I, I take that with a grain of salt too, because I'm sure Nebraska just thought, you know, we got the guy and, you know, with yeah. uh, Scott Frost and you see how it's been going there for him. And, you know, we've seen other programs 
yeah, oh, it's the slam dunk, it's the surefire, you know, and then over time, it's like, yeah, that, that wasn't so great. So you, you don't really know how a coach is going to express himself. But I think the mindset first was, we want a coach that'll run a program with some discipline was the first thought. And then the second thought was, I think this is a little bit of a stopgap higher, maybe not, you know, just sort of a writing of the ship hires what they want to do is, is clean up the program and try to head in the right direction before they get their forever coach, you know, quote unquote. Uh, what, what do you think about it? I think there's a multitude of layers to it. I think for one, I think the Danny White hire, I think that was a home run um, athletic director from UCF also who came up to Tennessee. I think that was a home run hire. I think that's a great hire. Um, I was never a huge fan of Hypo at UCF. I do think he gets a little unfair criticism on he, the program regressed. I mean, they went 13 and no, the only way to go was down, um, to be, to be fair in his part. That's I'm, a not, good point. That's a good I'm point. not trying to defend him by any means, but I mean, there were air quotes, national champions. So, I mean, he was kind of set up to regress a little bit. I also don't think he was our first choice. Uh, I think Danny White probably made, if I had to put with no insider info, obviously, I bet he called about five other guys before landing on who he knew he could hire. He landed on Josh Heupel. I think it was, like you said, I think we might have some sanctions coming down. We just need someone to, you know, just keep the ship on the, go in the right direction kind of deal. Don't have us, you know, don't sink the ship essentially. Uh, I think that was a big part of it. And I mean, it's going to be fun to watch uh, that offense it seems like it's going to be light and hopefully it has, you know, some good qualities that will transfer over to the sec. We saw Mike Leach's offense last year, kind of trip over itself. So I'm hoping for a little bit better uh, product than that. I think, I think it'll be more fun to watch if nothing else. I think, I think it'll be a little bit, a step in the right direction. Yeah. So like a little more open, a little more wide open, like what mm-hmm. you were seeing at, uh, yep. at UCF. This is literally from Fulmer to Kiffin. That this is the same difference from Pruitt to Heupel. It's literally the defense, run the ball, eye formation to spread everyone out, go as fast as you can, and sling the ball all over the field. So I, I do kind of look forward to it to an extent. I think you still have to play defense, and I'm a little nervous from that regard. Yeah. Well, you all picked up a, um, a productive player in Hendon Hooker from Virginia Tech. Biggest criticism of him is uh, ball security, unfortunately, which has been a, a problem with Tennessee over the last couple of years, but hopefully they can clean that up a little bit. Good mm-hmm. dual threat quarterback, big body guy. Uh, and then uh, other than that, y'all have some uh, quarterbacks on the roster already that have expressed some talent. You do part ways with a quarterback. This actually happened two days ago. Josh Heupel uh, dismissed, what's his name? Keenan Salter. Keaton Salter, um, yeah. I thought we pronounced that right, but it's along those lines. Caden Salter, I think, yeah. What? Uh, so they, they they dismissed him for his second off-the-field incident in three months, uh, again, involving possession of marijuana, which we hear so often in college football. Again, it is legal in 20 states in the United States. Tennessee is not one of them, and it's also not legal in the NCAA bylaws. Um, so, you know, he, he broke the rules, and so he left. I don't think, and I, I was reading on some message boards that there's a lot of people in the Tennessee community that were real upset about this. And then there were some that were not. I think with Hendon Hooker coming in and what you already have on the roster as well, and what you have potentially coming in in the 2022 recruiting class as well, with another four-star quarterback loaded in, uh, I, you know, I don't think this hurts. And I think that 
Tennessee does need to start making these these sort of adjustments and, and these kinds of things. And you know, it, it's a life lesson for him. You know, you can't break the rules. <laughs> you know, you, they're there. They're white and black. They're they're set in stone. And you know, you you moved outside your left and right, and there you go. So I, I don't think it'll hurt him. My opinion on Josh Heupel is is very similar to yours. I think that he was not the first choice. I think he was the best available, right? That was going to take that job. Uh, that's a very good point about them being 13 and 0. And there was really only one direction that they could move. Like that makes sense too. Uh, as far as running a program with discipline, there were some incidents this last year with UCF uh, on the sideline, uh, some, some fights amongst the team quarterback. That was a mouthpiece for that team that seemed to like to run his mouth. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, you know, claiming UCF was the best team in the state of Florida and they go on to lose three games. So a little bit of question there too, because he never really, he didn't really strike me as a huge disciplinarian, but maybe, maybe that, you know, they've, they've negotiated that in the language of the contract and maybe you're seeing his actions get played out now, right? If I was a Tennessee AD, with the way that the table is set, which we already talked about, the facilities, the fan base, everything else. Let me ask you this question. If you had, let's say, just three picks, three choices, right, of a head coach within reason, obviously, you know, you can't be like Nick Saban, you know, he's not leaving Alabama, but like within reason, maybe maybe not even three, maybe one or two. I've got a couple coaches in mind. Who who would you have liked to see uh, end up in Rocky Top? So if, if I was, uh, if I put my Danny White hat on, the Tennessee Athletic Director, I don't think these two guys would say yes, but I'd give them a call. And I, I think you owe it to the fans to call Matt Campbell and Luke Fickle, um, the Cincinnati and Iowa State guys, just to see what they say. Um, it seems like both those guys are more Big Ten oriented. I think giving them a call, I think you owe it to the fans to at least say you called them. Um, honestly, if we're talking realistic, I'd call Jay Norvell over at Nevada. Uh, I think he has a great program over there. I think he runs a great offense, and I think they're going to be really good this year. So that. Those are three guys I would have given a call to. Obviously, um, Louisiana's head coach, uh, I'm blanking. Billy Napier. Billy Napier, I, I would have gave him a call. I think that's one you can chalk that up to you owe it to the fans to call him. And then someone who I thought would, the Coastal Carolina program, the Chadwell, I thought he would have been, he's from Eastern Tennessee. He grew up a Tennessee fan. I know that offense is a little unorthodox, but so is Josh Heupel's. I thought that would have been I wouldn't have tuned in to watch that offense. I think it would have been fun to watch. Um, I doubt they called him. I don't, uh, that's only one year of success. So I doubt they made that phone call. But I think it would have been interesting that those four guys, I think that would have been someone on my list if we're talking realistic. Yeah. I, for me, there would have been uh, three, three guys that, that come to mind and one uh, and bear with me. This is, we're going to have a little fun with this for a second. So if I was looking for young and up and coming, sort of like a Matt Campbell, Luke Fickle, something like that. If I'm Tennessee, I would have thrown the kitchen sink at Dan Lanning at Georgia, their defensive coordinator, top recruiter in the conference, top recruiter in the region has put together some very stellar Georgia defenses over the last couple of years, stepping in when Mel Tucker left. I would have probably thrown the kitchen sink at him to see what was going on. Again, you know, a, a very lights out recruiter in the region. So I would have thrown probably kitchen sink at him first. Uh, if not, and I wanted to go with a more proven track record and a good stopgap coach, to be honest with you, I'd have gone with Gus Malzahn. I'm actually a big fan of his. That was a name that I, I kind of thought, because literally the stars kind of aligned perfectly for that. Um, I, I I have no idea if they made the phone call, obviously, but I think that would have been a very, I think that would have stopped the bleeding for the transfers also. Um, an SEC guy, a guy they've seen win. I think that would have Top made- Top 10 recruiter too. Yeah. I, th- yeah. 
I think Auburn did something stupid. That's also another topic. But I think he would have helped stop the bleeding a little bit for the transfer market. And I think he could have brought in some great coordinators too. Yeah, I think he would have assembled a pretty good staff. And then my outside-the-box, outside-the-box thought, if you could coax this man out of retirement, I would have pitched it to Mark Rick as mm-hmm. well to come back and, and, and maybe come back into coaching. I mean, if you could even – like his track record really spoke for itself. Now, did he ever win the big one at Georgia? No, but was Georgia ascended to a level of relevance they hadn't been since the early eighties with him taking over? Absolutely. Did he put together some historically good Georgia teams? Yes, he did. He put a lot of talent in the league. Was he a good recruiter? Yes, he was. And he's an offensive guy and a quarterback specialist as well. So uh, that would have been sort of my third, you know, pitch there thinking outside the box, of course. I think we're looking at Josh. If Josh Heupel takes off and takes us to great places, obviously great. But I also think it's one of those, hey, Josh, just make, make it so the next hire, this is a program we can really sell. Um, to NCA sanctions, I think it's like, okay, just hire, throw Josh Heupel in there. And then hopefully the next guy is, like you said, the dream coach, the next guy. Yeah, I, I fully expect to see Josh Heupel enter the Nick Saban Rehabilitation Clinic here in a few years. Um, you know, I just, that's, that's my take on it. That's my feeling on it just because mm-hmm. of where those two it programs in the SEC East are sitting right now. Mm-hmm. Georgia's lost no steam. Florida is Florida. They're going to be, they're going to be a tough out pretty much every year, no matter what, you know, I think the encouraging thing, if you are a Tennessee fan is <laughs> South Carolina is in the dumpster. Vanderbilt is Vanderbilt. Kentucky is beatable right now. You have to have your eye on don't let Missouri get in a position of dominance long-term over, over the program there. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's a little bit more future driven, but looking at the schedule, I mean, making a bowl this season, assuming we're allowed to play one, I think six and six is reasonable. I think that's best case. I think that's the ceiling though. I don't, Obviously, you can just go ahead and scratch off Georgia, Florida, Bama, maybe even probably even Ole Miss. Yeah, it's a brutal schedule. It really is yeah. a brutal schedule for you guys. The good news is the out conference isn't bad. It's like South Alabama. Pitt is Pitt is the swing game. You got to beat Pitt, and they're they're not. And that's not going to be an easy game. But if we if we're going to make a bowl game, if you told me the outcome of Pitt, Missouri, South Carolina, I could probably tell you if we made a bowl game or not just by those three games. Yeah, I, I would think so. Speaking of gleaning the future a little bit, I said I wanted to tie the knot, close the show out with basically it's 2026, right? <laughs> Five years from now, thoughts on Tennessee. What do you, what do you see? Is, is Hypel still in the seat? Do, you know, maybe trying to think two steps ahead, chess, kind of chess board wise, who's, who's in the seat, you know, is it him? Is it somebody else, right? Uh, an up and comer, somebody you could see making their way over to Tennessee, you know, where, where are you guys sitting in the scheme of at least let's, let's just narrow it down to the SEC East. Yeah, I think, I think Josh Heupel has packed his bags from going his three to four years around 500, maybe a few games above it, depending on how they schedule. And I think we're looking for our next big coach. I think our recruiting with Hypo will probably be, he's he would never been a great recruiter, but you know, he has a lot more to work with now. So I think he'll be float. We'll be floating around the, the 20 mark in a uh, recruiting. So I think we'll be looking for our next coach um, who that's going to be that far down the line. Hopefully Arch Manning, the nephew of Peyton will be our quarterback for that guy. But I think it'll be a new coach in 2026. And a lot from there will be, depend on how Beamer works out South Carolina, how Drankwitz works out at Missouri, if Kentucky can sustain their stable baseline, essentially, because they're almost the same. It seems like the same team every time you turn on a Kentucky game. Yeah. Um, but I, 
it's going to be a Tennessee fan of me, but this program has so many resources. They can only stay down for so long. Like it is, we have a top 10 facility. We have, we're like the Cleveland Browns of college football. Like we don't have a good program, but we're going to show up and we're going to be ready to hurt every season. Hopefully after Hypo, we can make that, that big time hire. Um, whether that's a kind of off the radar coach, Sean Lewis from Kent State and Jay Norvell, Nevada, or maybe we finally can convince, you know, Billy Napier to come on up. Um, I think it'll, I think it'll be a different coach though. Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, I, it, I think Tennessee being good and being relevant in college football is good for college football. Mm-hmm. Obviously the dogs fan in me wants everybody to be trash so we can continue to reign and Lord <laughs> over the sec East, but you know, you need good competition to sharpen yourself Yep. You know, heading into, you know, obviously championship, the championship rounds, and it would be good to see Florida be good and Tennessee be good and, and yep. have, have, you know, kind of those three programs in the East there, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, uh, push each other to establish some dominance in the East again. And, and it's not a foregone conclusion that the SEC West is just going to win the SEC. You know, I think so. it's good for the parity in SEC. Um, right now it's, I mean, you can just go ahead and pencil in Florida or Georgia for the last, I don't even know how long, for the last almost decade, I'd imagine. It's Georgia, Florida, Georgia, Florida, Georgia, Florida, Georgia, Florida. It'd be nice to throw in some creamsicle orange every once in a while. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Victor, I appreciate you coming on the show today, man. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed our talk. Whoa. Is that Smokey the 10th back there or what's going on? Yeah, I think she, I think he, she has a say in uh, the next coach. So she wanted to <laughs> bring her opinion. Awesome, dude. Hey, thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you so much for your time, man. We'll definitely have you on in the future. Hey, if you liked what you heard here today, please do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and give us that oh-so-important review. Remember, any given time, any given place, any given topic, get it at any given you.